A blind peddler's warning and a weird glass eye plunge Frank and Joe Hardy into one of the most baffling cases they have ever tackled. The young detective's investigation takes them to a walled estate guarded by savage dogs, where a wealthy businessman is hiding out in fear of his life. Later, a midnight telephone tip leads to a strange encounter on a lonesome hillside and a hair-raising escape from death at the bottom of Barmot Bay. The theft of a valuable oriental idol called the Jeweled Siva, a daringly designed hydrofoil speedboat, the Sea Spook, the strange disappearance at sea of a prime suspect, and a walking mummy all figure excitingly in this complex case. Yeah. Goonies. Yes, he does. Bullet-shaped head. Yeah, the ears. Like large gorilla arms, cauliflower ears. And he can't speak because he got punched in the throat. It's a Goonies crossover, and oh, I'm yeah. just realizing that right <laughs> that now. That Rip Singer is chump. Are you guys? It's 2018 and everyone gets a podcast. Mine is the Hardy Boys Drink Book. Each week I sit down with creative and hilarious people to talk about a book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. Then I have one of my favorite local bartenders mix us up a custom cocktail to go along with the drink. Today I'm joined once again by my brother and co-producer, Jack Wepso, and we're going to talk about the 16th book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series, A Figure in Hiding. Take a ride in a high-speed hydrofoil boat, get kidnapped to a surf picnic, and almost kill a man with your own car in the Hardy Boys drink book number 16, A Figure in Hiding, featuring Jack Wefso. Hello, detectives. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I am here with my brother and co-host, Jack Wefso. Hi, Jack. Uh, always happy to be back. Thank you so much for having me. So, Jack, we are reading um, the 16th book in the series, <laughs> and I just want to get your first impressions, because I have a lot of opinions about this mystery. Uh, my first impressions of this mystery... What the hell is happening? I felt like for a lot of yes. it was like... I, mean, I, I was continually asking myself, what is the mystery? Yeah, yeah. Like, like there are mysterious mm-hmm. things. Yeah, it, it was weird because... What I, is the crime? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and might it be uh, swindling? Swindling. General swindling. General swindling. I wrote that a lot. Every yeah. time the word swindling showed yeah. up, I wrote the word general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because like I don't I didn't realize sort of. you could be charged with that. But um uh yeah, so uh, that was a lot of it was like what the heck is happening? But okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna counter that with some positives. Okay. There are some they're starting to get into I talked about it the last time I was on the show too, how they're starting to get into the Hardy Boys the way I remember them. Yes. Which is things like radio transceivers in like rings and stuff that you talk to. That kind of Johnny Quest yeah, Dick the Tracy. Fact that this is the first book we've read with a gang that has a gimmick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Actually, no, I think the one where they went to Mexico, that gang dressed up like Apache War or like uh Aztec oh, Warriors, oh, remember? That's a little offensive. Yes, yeah. but that was mm. their gimmick. That was their thing. They that was their the, hook. The ghost of Aztec Warriors. <laughs> Jeez. Um, but this one, the Goggler Gang, yeah. really did set the bar. It, it yeah. was something that I didn't know I wanted so much. Oh my god, and we are gonna talk so much about the Goggler Gang, because they got there's a gang that that needs a it needs some leadership. I think, yes. and also some aesthetics changes. A quick and note also, about the yeah. Hardy Boys Mystery Series. The Hardy Boys Mystery Series were written by Franklin W. Dixon in the 1920s originally and into the 30s. Franklin W. Dixon is known uh, better as the inventor of... The Mason-Dixon line. Exactly. And, uh, well, it was sort of a partnership. Yeah, um, exactly. 
But uh, It was supposed to be a railroad, and then things just got way out of hand. So in the 1950s, the Hardy Boys were edited uh, down. They trimmed about 100 pages out of each book. They changed some of the content. Some of these, and I haven't checked about this one, um, did you... This felt to me like an... A less edited book. I agree with There's you. There's a couple and, of of, yeah. of like um, pieces of technology that they use that I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, this is still that's still clearly from the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. All the stuff with the switchboards, yeah, and the um, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a lot of hints that that stuff didn't get edited out, right? Yeah, um, but at the same time, I mean, I don't know because I well, first of all, I should I should probably preface this by saying I read this whole thing. Yeah, you're the first. You're the first person to have read any of these books digitally. Yeah, I read it on a on a Kindle. Thank you for sending me the EPUB file. Happy to do. And it. and now I'm I'm holding in my hand. I'm tapping it. Uh, a souvenir hardcover copy right now. So Absolutely. thank you. But uh, my copyright page, at least in my Kindle, says that the first copyright date is like I want to say like sixty three. Um, I'm going to check just, my, my own copyright. Which just isn't right. Because you know, uh, let me see what. Yeah. But hey, I don't know what at what point they caught up. My earliest copyright date listed is 1937. Oh, yeah. I have 37 as well with the paper copy. 37, okay. 65, That makes sense, too, especially given some of the um, just terminology that they yeah. use and stuff like that. And also, like you said, the, the descriptions of the tech. Uh, yeah, it looks less heavily edited. Yeah, but... As far as narrative, you can totally tell that a hundred pages were gutted out of this. Yeah, because yeah. there's periods of time where you're like, w- you didn't tell us anything. There's mm-hmm. whole characters that are like introduced and explained in the last chapter of the book. Yeah, which, you're like, oh, all that. Guy. God, when we get to that last chapter, talk. I am gonna, I'm gonna punch this micro because, like, what a lazy. Yes. All right, we're, it was, you know. it's like the ending of Tommyknockers. It's, yeah, and, so uh, <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Oh, and over. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> So the book begins with the boys leaving a baseball field, mm-hmm. like a baseball, yeah. and it's a postseason game for the high school that they just won against the alumni all-star. Which I immediately was like, alumni? Is that old people from Bayport High who, who like used to come go back and form a team and then have to play against like the varsity yeah, baseball which team? It's kind of a cool idea. Yeah, I guess. Like they're they're gonna get stomped, you feel like. Because these kids play baseball every day after school and you mm-hmm. can play like twice a week after mm-hmm. work or yeah. maybe once on the weekends. Yeah. But maybe one or two of those people went like semi pro or pro. All stars. Yeah, exactly. You know, so yeah, it is the alumni all stars. So I bet you there's decades. I bet you there's decades where it's like are you kidding me? The surviving all-stars are like mostly in their 80s and 90s and then two guys who didn't die in the war, you know. But then there's other years where it's actually a bit of a tougher tougher yeah. ball game. But they not only have handily won against the alumni all-stars, but they specifically mentioned that both Frank and Joe get game-changing winning plays personally. Yeah, why? <laughs> Well, because cause they're better than the they're team. the heroes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're the Iron Team. There yeah. may be no Iron <laughs> Team, but there is an Iron Hardy Boys. Mm. So yeah, and then do they immediately get approached? Yeah, the instantaneously. Old, they're walking away, and they are like, "Hey, congratulations! Well, you had the I can't remember. you hit the pop up fly, and well, you had the double up at the base. Get a room, is what right. I'm, yeah. I'm like. <laughs> yeah. Just come on. <laughs> yeah, no reason for all this. And I also like that, like, it's not that Frank won or that Joe won. It's that they... The they boy, won. Each boy won. We won. Yeah, <laughs> we won, exactly. And immediately, they were approached, approached by a blind peddler. Yes. Um, who's who's s- out at a baseball stadium by a high school. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Mm-hmm. No, this is Bayport, though. Yeah, that's true. Like, I mean, you don't know where the high school is in relation to downtown, in relation to Rockport, in relation to the beach. Ocean City. Yeah, exactly. Ocean City. We have no idea. Isn't that where Steven Universe lives, like in Ocean City? I, I don't know. That'd be uh, Talk about amazing crossovers. Yeah. That'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see the Steven Universe commentary on the Hardy Boys world. <laughs> it's a pretty feminist show. Yep. Uh, great. yep. So so he approaches them and he he sells them I think a pencil a, a pencil with a card attached and he's saying yeah. oh, this is we'll go to the blind and it's got a little message on the card that says you, you'll uh, it says uh, watch out for the first signs of bad eyesight uh, and it also has a pencil with it and he says oh thank you and he goes uh, wandering away and then uh, it's when they get into their car their red convertible that uh, they notice that some of the lines have been scratched out. Um, did your copy actually display which which words are scratched out? No, it because didn't. mine, my first of all, my digital copy didn't, and my paper copy didn't either. So I had to surmise. Okay, um, but remember, the card said, "Watch out for the first signs of bad eyesight." But some of the words are crossed out, so instead it says watch out for the bad eye. And then underneath, scribbled in pencil, it says, tell F-H. Yeah, and they shout, shout. that must mean Fenton Hardy. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, okay, we're in a car. Mm. Um, I just want to jump back. Um, For regular listeners of the show, you might have realized that the Hardy Boys have some sort of like shape-shifting car yeah. that changes at least color or they get mm-hmm. repainted and the amount of times it's been blown up and like put back together yeah. i wonder if when they show up to pick up their car the mechanic just has a different car and just like, ready you for go, boys all do you set. think that's part of the whole like fenton hardy illusion or like it's, yeah, it's almost starting to feel like a little truman show yeah well you know what else i think of is i think of breaking bad and I think of, like, you know, him with the Aztec and, like, he keeps, like, in damaging it in different oh, ways yeah. and taking it back. And then, of course, our good friend John Aston, who actually plays yes. the mechanic who buys the car in, in season five, gets that great moment. Uh, but, yeah, I think about the same thing of, like, how many times has this car come into the shop? Right. You know what I mean? Like, well, did, they, you they, guys, take, they this, take it to the mechanic twice in this book. In this, in this book. And both, and the first time after that wreck, I'm like, that car is totaled. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> we'll been there. blown yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Put back like, why are you... I don't think it's the same car. Because that yeah. car was seafoam green. They made a big deal about how their last car was seafoam green. Seafoam green. And, and this one is a red, red convertible. convertible. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't even think that one was a convertible. But then the one in... They did have a convertible at some point before this. Yeah, because we talked about it in the last episode about... Yeah, they were driving with their top down. And then all of a sudden an airplane came in. And then it skimmed the top of the car. And we were like, but the top is down. <laughs> So uh, skim the top of their head. I remember that. I remember that episode. All right. So the boys surmise that the card came from one of Dad's underworld informants, and he's trying to get him a message. Yes. To, to watch out for something called the bad eye. Bad eye. Yeah. And the kids are so culturally stupid that they don't know what the evil eye is. Yeah, yeah. They've literally never heard of something called the evil eye. Oh, what is it? They they run into one of their friends, right? Tony Prito. In his... Tony Prito. Like, in his panel truck. Every time you see him in this book, he's driving his his family's panel a truck. A boy's got to work, Yeah, man. boy has to work. Yeah. And not he the, does. Not the Hardy Boys. But yeah, but no, Other no, no. boys. But yeah. other boys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like real 30s boys. Yeah. Had, had to work Especially hard. Especially with Italian immigrant parents. And, and he basically... He basically just uh, shows up to say, um, hey... You know, if you're interested in something that goes fast, 
uh, there is a hydrofoil boat out on the bay that you should go take a look at. Now, I didn't know a lot about hydrofoil boats. I had to Google it. Had to Google it. And they're awesome. Yeah. Definitely yeah. a thing that should have been in a Hardy Boys book before this. Yeah, so talk to me. talk Because I looked at a bunch of pictures. Of yeah, them. that's all I, I looked at as well. Mm-hmm. They seem to be... Uh, large aluminum uh, solid like crafts that mm-hmm. that sit above the wings. Yeah, they sit on like uh, on. Well, they're Raised. called hydrofoils, but yeah. they're they're uh, like it, like almost like pontoons. Yeah, they're like pontoons, like super fast pontoons. Yeah, and then they have propellers that are in the water, mm-hmm. and then uh, it seems like they're able to get up to super high speeds yeah. because of probably not having the water resistance. The res- yeah, exactly. Um, so most of the keels above the water. But they look like something out of science fiction. Totally out of nineteen sixties science, science fiction. fiction. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No. The hydrofoil hydrofoil boats boats look cool, and the um, uh, the illustrations of them are are pretty neat too. Um, they decide to take the sleuth, their own boat, mm-hmm. out and just try to get as close as possible mm-hmm. to this. To, oh, uh, this is another one of those moments where time doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Because like Tony Prito's like that boat's out on the bay. If you wanted to go and look at it, and so they go okay, and then they get in their car. They and I drive they home. Going, I thought they were going right there, and it was like, no, don't get distracted. There's a mystery. But instead, they were like, no, let's go. Huh? There is a paragraph because that's – it's one of those where, like, clearly that's an edit. Yeah. Where um, – oh, and also I have to I have to stop here because we get our first ex- – uh, our first exposure to the verb toad, not as in towing something behind you, but poking something <laughs> with, with your, your toe. toe. It's like Frank, fingering the barrel of yeah, a gun. Yeah, exactly. It's like, exactly like fingering the muzzle. Don't. And Frank – Toes the accelerator on the car. Mm. Kind of wiggles his toe around on it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. In uh, I remember very clearly in an episode of SpongeBob, he's taking his driving test, yeah. and he's supposed to just use a big toe to accelerate. So his toe like punches through the bottom of the <laughs> sole of his shoe, and then like presses down on it. That's what I imagine. Yeah, he towed the accelerator. Yeah, um, but yeah. So then they 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 drive and. From how I gather it, on their way to their house, they can kind of can see the bay and they yeah. can see the sea. They're on spook. Shore Road. Yeah, which is the name of the hydrofoil boat, the Sea Spook, out on the out. Yeah, on the, the bay. Sea Spook. Well, it was 1937. Yeah, I don't. I don't know about <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm with you. Um, um, so let's see. They they get pretty close to the boat, right? Because after they go home, they did you get their boat. They go. They go, they go home. They eat Drop. some. Mil- they eat some milk and cookies. Yeah, <laughs> this book is so weird. Chapter yeah. one, folks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they uh, leave a note uh, for dad about where they're going, even though their dad is out of town in St. Louis. Yeah, they leave a note for in him in case he came home. In case he came back and needed to know about that card with the tell the evil eye, right? Which was where this all started. That's true. Uh, but they've already been distracted by a high speed boat in the bay. <laughs> Who wouldn't be? Yeah. Um, Virile young boys. Yeah. And then uh, they they jump in the car, and on their way to uh, the bay, okay. they hear this convenient news flash on the radio. Oh, that's right. The only news flash in the entire book. A daring robbery in New York City last night netted thieves a small oriental idol called the Jeweled Siva, valued at over $20,000. The owner of the art curio shop from which it was taken said the ivory figure stood only six inches high, but was studded with valuable gems. Wow, that's some haul, Joe murmured. (laughs) I wouldn't mind working on a case like that. 
uh, I do want to point out that Joe murmurs all the time in this book. Mm-hmm. Why is that? The I don't know. Speaking... Is it this? Is it the same reason mm-hmm. that, that? Is it the same reason that Frank grins? Frank grins. <laughs> <laughs> So creepy. <laughs> it's hard to say something through a grin without seeming like a psychopath. Yeah, exactly. Um. Anyway, okay, but then they finally do go out. Mm-hmm. They do go out, and they make they make it to the bay. They get in their boat, and they're like, "It's over there." And then you're right. They basically full throttle straight at the, at the sea spook to get a better look at it. Yeah, and then surprise, surprise, it almost crashes. Nearly boat crash. It turns their boat over, right? Yeah, it does. Well, it turns a figure eight, and they're really amazed at like how adept it is <laughs> and everything. But like, I think actually in the last episode I was on, we talked about how the boys are really good at spotting who is piloting a boat from very far away. Yeah, they barely know the pilot of this experimental craft, Bill Braxton. Is, has he been in a, in a book before, by I the way? I don't think so. Yeah, but I don't remember remind him. me. Yeah, yeah exactly. Him. I don't remember him. Um, but anyway, they look at him and they're like, that's not Bill Braxton piloting the boat. Yeah, Bill Braxton's next to him. The guy at the helm actually looks terrified. And, like, <laughs> and because, it's yeah, life, yeah trying to do another figure eight and he can't come out of it. And basically they come really close to each other and they manage to miss each other, but the swell of the hydrofoil yeah, tips the Hardy Boys, the right. slu- tips the sleuth over. And then they get yelled at by the dude riding. Right. Which is your... Who's a bad guy. Yeah. That's your first indication that he's a bad guy is that when everybody... It's everybody's safe. Yeah. And all of the normal people are like, is everyone safe? And then the bad guy barges in and is like, what's the big idea? You don't even know where you're supposed to be. Like, you know, yeah. he just comes in mad, you know, <laughs> coming Often. in hot. Coming and, in hot. Yeah, yeah exactly. But and they do. They Joe get... throws an insult back at him about how he shouldn't handle anything better than a rowboat. I was or like, some good one, Joe. Yeah, nice. You got him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and then they, they get towed back to the dock. Um, mm-hmm. Nor- the normal towed. Not Normal. The, to, no, they, they don't get... They wiggle, so they wiggle their toe at them back to the dock. No, no, no. Somebody hooked a rope onto their boat and pulled it. Yeah, yeah, um, right. And on the dock, they find a glass eye. Yeah. Like a, a marble. Eye. Like a full... Not like a prosthetic They specifically eye. say it is. it would be too large to like jam into your eye socket. And I'm glad nobody tries. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to try, said Joe. <laughs> said, but I really Shoving like, it into his right eye. Uh, hey, I, re- I just like that he's like, hey, say, is Lambert the angry, mean guy? Yeah, is his Lambert name is Lambert. blind in one eye? Not that I know of why. Well, someone dropped a glass eye. I'm like, so you think somebody dropped a glass eye and your first reaction was to just pick it up? Yeah. Right. If you did it's think a it was a slimy. <laughs> if you did think it was a glass eye, it was in someone's face. I, yeah, it was in their eye socket. And also, do you think that someone who has a glass eye wouldn't notice when their glass eye fell out of their face and landed on the dock? <laughs> and also, I feel like a lot of this trouble could have been avoided if Joe would have just towed the thing, the yeah. eye into yeah, the water. Yeah, just wiggled his toe at it until it was in the water. No, I'm, I'm not going to touch that. Mystery of mystery solved. <laughs> End of book. Yeah, because it really is the glass eye becomes the, the mystery. mystery. Yeah, so because they realize that the glass mm-hmm. eye looks just like the eye that was drawn on the card. That yeah, was exactly right. It has these weird it. like bloodshot. They're a combination of like bloodshot and lightning bolts, and also the pupil of the eye is like a cat. It's like a slitted pupil, like a cat's pupil. They talk about that. Yeah, a lot. Mm-hmm. I like when they go home and they talk to uh, on Gertrude about what happened. Um. They talked to Aunt Gertrude about what happened. And, yeah, they and always she catch says, everybody up. 
Yes, they you do. notice that they check everybody in. They check in with the cops a lot, which is good. But I really like how uh, Aunt Gertrude says the fellow. They're talking about who had this glass eye. Yeah, and she's like, the fellow probably had spotted a one-eyed murderer in town. The 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 peddler. She's like, yeah. Oh, I bet he spotted a one-eyed murderer in town. In fact, the killer may be after him, and he wants your father to rescue him. I'm like, oh, very dark. Wow, I you like just that. went right for the murder. 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 It's like, well, Auntie, we actually don't chase a lot of murderers. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I do want to say, um, first of all, there's this moment because obviously the, their boat has been capsized. Yes. Where they talk about how they've changed into their swim trunks. And they specifically they like dry but they specifically mention that their clothes are something called wash and wear, and they dry super like, fast. Super fast. Is that a thing I don't know about? Like, are my are the clothes that I currently am wearing called like are they wash and wear clothes? And I just I don't, don't know. know it because that was like an innovation in clothes. I mean, they sell those like pairs of. Um, like boxers and stuff for traveling that dry yeah. super fast. Oh, you know what? I have a couple that I bought when when I went to Australia that are there specifically. They're like, oh yeah, this is a fa-. and they feel weird on your skin. Yeah, but yeah, they dry super fast. But do you they, think? I mean, I'm looking this at this is, cover. He's in a sweater. A <laughs> this, this, shirt. this wash and wear. Jackie. This wash and wear tweed suit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I bet that looks weird as hell. Yeah. Oh, but I. One of the things that I want to say is that there are two moments in this book of honestly really excellent mystery foreshadowing. Not big over story, but like, oh shit, that was a clue. And if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. Is that he specifically says that Lambert is staying at the Bayport Inn Motel. Uh, what's it when Bill Braxton yeah. is like, oh yeah, he was a buyer and he's interested in buying the boat. He's staying over at the Bayport Hotel. That's all he says about it. Well, but, they like immediately after they go home, they mm-hmm. go to that motel. It says after supper, the boys drove to the Bayview Motel. Mm, okay. The manager, a fat, balding man. <laughs> so they go talk to this man, the, the most helpful hotel manager in the world. A hotel will give you any information that you ask for on a guest. Anybody will. Apparently, like, people who run antique stores... Taxi cab companies... <laughs> they will literally give you any information. And they have the records to back it up. And if you're asking, you probably have a right to know. That should be the NSA's, like, <laughs> ads. They could run YouTube ads. Yep. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's a, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. So, they get a bunch of info uh, about uh, how long he stayed and... The phone calls he received he, or did not receive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what, what numbers he dialed. Yeah. And, but the primary information that they learn in this visit is how long he stayed. Yeah. And that he left... But didn't angry. leave a yeah and didn't leave a and didn't leave a forwarding address yeah because like why would he yeah right because that, do you when was the last time that you stayed at a hotel where you were like checking out please and they were like okay you're all set and you were like and you wrote down and you were like also this is my forwarding address <laughs> you were like oh did you tell people to send mail <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly like, like we're here for four days yeah. I mean we wouldn't we. You no, would, I mean, I changed all of my addresses. <laughs> to uh, this to this hotel. <laughs> to this room. Is ridiculous. Like, that's why, uh, I mean, I let the post office know I yeah. had my driver's license changed. That's why I instructed you to tell everyone <laughs> any information they needed, just in case you needed to find me. But that's basically what they, and also that he, when he checked out, he seemed upset. Yes. And, God. uh. Yeah. Didn't Let's seem see. too happy, though. Uh, and it, then... They decide, didn't seem too happy, though. Yeah. They do decide to call Bill Braxton, the guy mm-hmm. from the boat, yep. and uh, he gets knocked out on the phone call. 
What? Like, why wouldn't you wait till somebody hung up the phone and not Right, up? exactly. They're like, hey, Bill, remember that eye we found? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, y- you know, uh, we just got off the phone with the hotel where that guy, mm-hmm. Lambert, was staying. And it turns out he kind of was mad at a lot of people and left angry. So just a heads up. He might come back oh. looking for that, and he's like, okay, well, I'll keep it. Ow, shit, bitch. And then, like, they... <laughs> and luckily, they don't do the thing that Nancy Drew did in our last episode, which is forget all about it. Who is this? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. They immediately decide to uh, to follow up. They dash over there, which, of course, they... But they are terribly stymied. Oh, that's right. three, count them, three red lights oh i didn't i didn't catch that yeah Those poor it, boys and it talks never... about it like there's a whole paragraph about how frustrated it reminds me of frank wrench from um arrested development the the like side tv show cop character who his whole gimmick is that he has to follow every rule okay so yeah, he's yeah. like chasing a criminal and he's like stop sign and the, the criminal yeah that's what it reminded me yes of. they can't just blaze on through them they're the hardy boys who's yeah. gonna care well later they run some red lights but we'll we'll get there um bill's been hurt but he's okay yep exactly they, he's they, fine they get him into an ambulance yeah he has to go to the hospital why does he have to go to the hospital they never have to go to the hospital well because he has a I, he has a wound on the back of his head that if i remember correctly frank fingers a little bit oh yeah oh yeah, yeah that's it. It's warm in there. It's <laughs> soft, softer than you want it to be. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah. So then they go home, where Fenton Hardy has returned. Hooray! Yeah, and uh, he's back from his case, and so they brief him. They tell him about uh, first. They tell him about the business card that they received from the and, guy, and Fenton tells him that, that guy's name is Henry Zapp. Yep, and he's a well-known informant. Who is not blind? Terrible thing to be a well-known informant. Yeah, you I guess that's true. Unknown informant. unknown informant would be better. Uh, it's like later when, but explain some of Zada's problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's see, and then uh, and then he tells them about. They show them the eye. Uh huh. And he tells them about the Goggler Gang. Yeah. This is our first reference to the Goggler Gang, and I just wrote it awesome. Yeah, exactly. The Goggler. That's like some Batman the Animated Series style yeah, well, villain. Yeah, it's, yeah, they're like the, um, they're like the henchmen to the, to Catwoman in the Batman 60s totally. show, where yep. their the shirts just said kitten. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, well, they yeah. all had henchmen like that in that old yeah, 60s show. It was, was just great. all based on... Like, the Jokers just said things like, ha, and yuck, and stuff like that. But, yeah. Awesome show. Wow, what a Um, great show. But these gogglers, this this goggler game, they wear spectacles that have bulging eyes on them, which I think would just mess with your vision so bad. We're going to talk about this several times throughout the book, but, yes, if you're going to... You're looking through a fisheye lens all the time? No. Okay. No. The outfit... (laughs) <laughs> is a nylon a pantyhose pantyhose over your face and then on top of that the novelty glasses light up novelty glasses that go over your eyes but couldn't properly sit on your ears because your ears are pinned down by a nylon that's stomach. correct so they're constantly slipping <laughs> off of your face, right? Also, the nylon is very hard to see through. And you put on glasses and you, that are light that up. That light up, which means there are lights pressed against your eyes. So, like, 
everywhere these guys go, they have their hand. They must have their hands out in front of them, kind of like zombies. We call them the blind boys. The blind boys. Yeah, except the goggler gang, they can't see shit. But like, my uh, my favorite part about this is the name that Fenton Hardy. He's like, did that guy have a crooked nose? And they're like, uh huh. He's like, I know him. That's uh, Spotty Lemuel. Spotty Lemuel. I have not encountered the name Lemuel very often. Yeah. I think like Gulliver think from Gulliver's Travels. I was actually, it reminded me of Pepe Le Pew. Okay. You know what I mean? Like the, like the Le Pew is supposed to be like a reference to his stink, you know? The Pew. The P-U. Yeah. And he's the mule. The, but for some reason, I don't know, Lemuel. Lemuel. Um, the um, thing sorry I, to all you Lemuels out there. Right? We don't yeah, hey, nothing name. wrong. With or you. if your name is like Stumpy Dowd. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. hey, that's all right. That's all right. Yeah, but, I mean, you don't have to go by Stumpy, you know? No. Like, everybody has nicknames. My real name is not Jack. But uh, the the other thing that I want to say about this is that um, I really like the moment when they're like, he then says, oh, yeah, I know Spotty Lemuel. And he hands over a mugshot. That he has. Because he has everybody's mugshot. But he doesn't even get it out of a folder. No, no, he's got no you know what? No, he does. He leaves through his criminal file. Yeah, his criminal file. But uh, he hands over the uh the mugshot and they say uh, what is it you you're probably looking right at it they I, say something about how yeah. he is no as, wonder he's called spotty his face here is covered with freckles and then mr hardy says he probably got them bleached off by a dermatologist bleached off by a dermat what dermatologist was like we're just gonna put a little bleach on each I, of I don't know if that's like a generic term he's using for the process but if you've ever seen somebody who has had their skin artificially lightened mm-hmm. you can tell immediately that's the first thing they would have noticed about him is that like yeah. there was something really weird with his face well they do actually say when they first get on oh, the really? boat that he has he like looks scars. they say strangely pale um yeah, but okay. okay, good setup. Still got me Dixon. Yeah, but still bleached. Yeah, I, I, I maybe crazy. I hope I I hope to God that I can't it, believe he wouldn't disappear from the country after having that procedure done. You think right. he'd go to the other side of the planet if he's willing to go to those lengths? Yeah, to exactly to bleach his put. Yeah, whatever. Okay. But then a crazy old man, crazy old man number two oh, of three or four, Zachary Mudge, who they must have thought he was hilarious. The, I wrote, Zachary Mudge, an attempt at a character. Yeah. Uh, it made me think of Sandy. The yeah. guy who sold sand or whatever. The, <laughs> the guy who lived on the beach and combed through sand dunes to find things in the sand yeah, cell Sandy. and named himself Sandy. Yeah. No, this is exactly the same thing. And But this is like where they were like, we need a character. Like a he, wacky old He man. should have a thing. Yeah. But then they just kept giving him a okay. thing and then another thing. And by the time he arrives, he is a scrawny, ancient man <laughs> wearing nothing but shorts yep. and a straw hat. He's topless the entire book. Oh, yeah. He's shirtless the entire time. This crazy, spindly old guy comes up. Who and it turns out is very wealthy. He's extremely wealthy, but... When he first knocks on the door, he's like, I just escaped from an insane asylum up the street. And they're like, come in, come in. Yeah, they're like, oh, please, well, right inside, sir. And <laughs> and he's like, I told my, he's like, I had my limo driver. Charles, if somebody knocked on your door. 
It was like, I just escaped from the halfway house six blocks down. I had my limo driver drop me off here. They said that you could get me in touch with a detective who could help expose all of the lies that are happening in that place. I I mean, it's probably the kind of thing that would make me the bad guy in a Netflix series or something. But what I would do, no, 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 I'd be like, cool. And I'd like give them some food and some water and I would go be like, cool, I'm going to make some calls and I would call the police. And the police would show up and they'd take them back there. It turns out they'd be in on it. And I'd be the bad guy who's Mm. like, no, no, they're clearly like, I think they're not violent, but they seem very, But it turns out that like you didn't actually call the police. You called a different. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then it's Stranger Things, basically. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 or or whatever. (laughs) But but Zach. uh, Old old Zach Mudge. old, Old Zachary Mudge. And I do have to read. This is the first time that I saw something that I had to read. The man snorted and fished a large cigar from his pocket. He unwrapped it, bit off the tip, and lit the cigar with a gold lighter. So he's sitting in their living room on their couch. He pulls a cigar out of his shirt and he goes... And then, like, and then, like, sticks it in his mouth, and like, 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 he must have just bit the tip off and spit it on the floor. I really like that. He, this is immediately after he insulted the woman whose house this is by yeah. saying, "Leave me alone, woman! Confounded females! You're just like my daughter. I wouldn't be in this fix if she hadn't shanghaied me into a blasted farm." Which I'm like, oh, we're sexist and racist. Yeah, exactly. And, and they're like, like, "Oh no, he's just an old coot." Like <laughs> Laura Hardy is like, "You're very independent," and I just wrote, "Bless your heart." Yeah. <laughs> Bless, yeah, bless your heart, Lord. But yeah, so he comes in, he comes in like a fucking tornado, basically. Turns out he's been at this health resort yeah, his, that his family kind of stuck him at. Yeah, and his, and while I also wrote, why do the boys believe him, yes. it turns out that his story checks out, and he is a well... But they have an impeccable judge of character. That's true, right? yeah, perfect, perfect judge of character. Uh, so, it, yeah, his story checks out, his, uh, his daughter... Um, basically, and son-in-law, and son-in-law thought that he was working too hard, mm-hmm. so they send him off to this health retreat. You it's know, a it's a sanitarium, yeah. exactly right. Send him to a sanitarium uh, to to you know relax and calm down. And uh, he believes that it's it's not really a sanitarium; it's just a place for what vegetables. He says vegetable farm. He thinks it's an insane asylum, yes. and that he's never going to get out. Right. Uh, Doesn't make a lot of sense. No. I think it actually, uh, his whole conspiracy theory lends more credence to the idea that the he's that, mentally... And uh, that maybe it is an insane asylum and, and he, that that's where he should be. Yeah, because right. it's clearly just a place where you can relax and exercise and it's only for rich people. Yeah. And yet he thinks that it, he's not allowed to leave, even though they they clearly let him leave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he just walked away. Because somebody would have like... Chased, chased him, him down. down. Yeah. Or they would have told his, his, Called his family. I mean, his limo driver was able to pick him up. Mm-hmm. And there's a gate. Can you imagine being that guy's limo driver? I think it'd be awesome. I mean, it would be like, who would be a really... It would be like being Donald's uh, limo driver before he was the, the president. Before he was president. Yeah. That's exactly well, all right. All of a sudden, it's just some random place. Or like Bieber. Like Justin Bieber, maybe. Yeah. It's probably like being Justin Bieber's limo driver, where you're yeah. like, I guess I'm going to... You sure. know, wherever. Just on call? Yeah, who knows. Uh, but yeah, that was that was crazy. Let's see, do they go out to the farm next? I the next know. note I have is Chet. Oh, okay. They run in. Oh, they're dry. They, they drive out to oh the Oh my health. God, so angry. Oh my God. They're assholes to Chet. Although Chet made a good lineman on the Bayport 11, he was not noted for his physical activity. 
Chet's chief hobbies were food and relaxation whenever he had the chance. The Hardys pulled up and their chum stopped to greet them. His moon face was lobster red and dripping with perspiration. Chet pulled out one end of the thick towel draped around his neck and mopped his forehead. You out of your mind? Joe teased. I thought you'd engaged in a hammock for the summer. I'm getting in shape, Chet retorted, plopping himself down on a boulder. He plucked out a candy bar, peeled off the wrapper, and began munching it hungrily. Well, that chocolate bar will put you in shape, Frank said with a grin. Like a lead balloon. Aw, oh, cut it out. I have to have some quick energy, don't I? Listen, what's all this road work about? Joe asked. You're not doing it for fun. Chet looked smugged. Just wait and see, you guys. Certain people needed a powerfully built young fellow for an important athletic post. And I was their natural choice. Choice for what? A before and after model for one of those diet ads? Okay, I'm gonna stop there. Seriously? Go fuck Yeah, like, fuck you. And, but my favorite part is the the last thing that Chet said, which is... Okay, pal. Have your laugh. Chet got up, and this time, set off at a brisker pace. Like, I feel like even Chet is like, All right, assholes. You know what? Like, okay, yep. I'm trying... You're so funny, Joe. I hope you have fun being funny. It's like making fun of a homeless person for not having a job. Yeah. Who's at a job interview. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, this is him working and, like, trying. And they're like, like, it's never going to work, fatty. Boy, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done. Like, see you later, bro. And then, like, yeah. Well, and I love that his response is like, okay, guys. So then they get a uh, phone call. If I remember correctly, they get a phone call from the hotel manager who says something along the lines of, hey, I just wanted to call and let you know that Sp- that Mr. Lambert came back. And who, did leave a forwarding. And, and, and was like, hey, in case I do, in, in case any mail arrives for me. <laughs> at this hotel I just At this stayed. hotel I stayed at for one night. Please send it to this address. Why would the manager of the hotel be like, okay. Absolutely. Not, you think that he's so open with information. The first thing he would, he would be, say would be like, you know, it, there were a couple of hardy of, boys. Of fellas who were actually looking for you, and I'll probably call them. Why don't you stick around? We'll call them together. And they're like, no, I'm going to leave. No, he's very, very, very discreet. <laughs> when uh, talking with Mr. Lambert. So they get this new address, and they decide to mm-hmm. go to investigate it. And it's clearly like, they show up, and there's a... There's a an eye, the same eye from yeah. The, they're drawn on like a. It's a first of all, it's the, on a sign post. The, yeah. The address is an abandoned house. Yes. And then on the yeah on the fence post outside the house is a drawn the eye, mm-hmm. and then all the lights are out. Yes. But there's like a like a lanky, like a lanky young dude with teenage a pointy kid. nose. I imagine him very pointy faced. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. Just like a little angular features. Yes. He basically he basically says, uh, "What are you guys doing here?" Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Well, we we're I'm told to come here." Yeah, and then we're here for the meeting. No, well, that's not how it starts because he starts. He starts by being. He says, "I'm the lookout," or "I'm the the checker." Oh, that's right. And he says, "Are you here for the?" First of all, he's the worst like secret guard ever. Yeah, because he right away is like, "Are you here for the meeting or not?" It yeah. doesn't matter. Like he if, says, "Are you guys here for the meeting? For the meeting, or are you just snooping around?" Like, well, if we're just snooping around, dude, you just told us there's a meeting. Yeah, exactly. So and then, then they say, like, and he's like, "Well, where's your where's your uh, pass or whatever yeah. for the meeting?" And they show him on a hunch. Yeah, because they actually have a hunch that pays off. Yeah, they show him the glass eye mm-hmm. that they found, mm-hmm. and he lets them in. He's like, "You're good to go." And they go around. He says, "Go around the back of the house and yes. in the back." So they go around the back of the house. 
And they, and they open up the door. Yeah, and immediately get got. Attacked! Yeah. Yeah, they get got. Yeah, they get jumped from behind. I just wrote by, stupid boy. Yeah, come on, man. By um, a bunch of guys who are wearing nylon stockings mm-hmm. uh, over their heads, which makes it hard to see. And then the, uh, there's a and great... they're in the darkness. But there's a great moment, though, where um, their mouths have been covered, right? Then, yeah. But then Joe manages to get a the hand, hand off, and just he unleashes... He unleashes a volley of piercing yells. <laughs> Almost which, as good as an attack. Yeah, exactly. And I obviously I thought of the 1990s X-Men character Banshee, who <laughs> actually goes, dates back to well before the 90s. Yeah, 1975. But like, I just, ah! like, with, I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> like, like, he's like. A volley. Yeah, a volley of piercing yeah. yells. But he actually just called for help. Yep, and P- and and help arrives. Yeah, very like, quickly. They 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 find out a lot of stuff about the. Um, it seems like the guys are trying to steal the glass eye. Yeah, well, the whole time that they're, they're getting kind of struggling with the, the yeah, fight. the 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 their attackers are making a lot of grabs at their pockets yeah. area. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of fingers going kind of near their kind of like where where you have where, pockets on your pants. <laughs> yeah, they were they were trying to reach into their pants. Yeah, the fingers were pockets. really yeah yes. a little yeah a little. <laughs> and so the cops arrive, and I was. Really surprised that the cops arrived so fast. They explain why they because they were already on the lookout. Right, after... Chief colleague told us that we should go out here because that guy Lambert left a forwarding mailing address, and you guys had a hunch. Yeah, and so yeah, and then and then they say, and then on our way, maybe on our way here, somebody else called us. Oh yeah, and then the neighbors called. This it does seem like this particular uh, mystery is a lot of. We have the person first and the crime later. Yeah, exactly. They're like, this guy is probably Seems like, a let's criminal. just follow him until he commits, until he a, commits crime a crime. And then call the police. Yeah. You know? Which, uh, like, yeah. which is a great way to do police work. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Not terribly so ethical. Some, some neighbor um, calls. I, I did realize that when the cops get there, they use a strip of celluloid. Of celluloid. 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 They use a strip of celluloid to open the lock to mm-hmm. the house. Yeah, without a warrant. They no, literally, the no cops warrant. just be and eat that place. Yeah. like <laughs> And like no probable cause, Mm-mm. really. I mean, Mm-mm. the boys didn't say we were attacked in there. They mm-hmm. were attacked in the backyard. And I think at some point they're like, well, it's a house that was va- is vacant and like somebody else is about to move in. And I'm like, yeah, that's still private property mm-hmm. though. Like, Even if just a like a bank owner. Yeah, exactly. Even if it's an intermediary, like you can't... <laughs> But yeah, you're right. They break into that house and they just kind of go rifling around. Uh, don't find a lot. Don't. Well, that's good because it would be an admissible in court. <laughs> a lot of this evidence, yeah, that they get um, is inadmissible in court. Yeah. They uh, let's see. Oh, they go to the hot rocket, which is the like diner. It's like yep. I, I assume it's like pops from the Archie comics or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they go to the Hot Rocket, and Chet Morton is there, who I kind of imagine when they walk in, he's, like, psyched to see his friends, and then at the same time is, like, he's like brace, oh, I'm, I'm bracing I'm about to himself. do this again. I'm about to do this again. Yeah. Because they're always like this to me. But he's reading a bodybuilding magazine. And eating a hamburger. Yep, exactly. Just fine. He's protein, protein, he's adding mass. Yeah. They they say, like, oh, they, they order milkshakes, and then they're like, mm-hmm. wow, you're really... Going in for physical culture, and he's like, and He Man food. I'm like, dude, I've seen you eat like four burgers. Don't, yeah, like, come this on, is a, a He Man food. But he says, All he's gonna eat is ground beef steak, milk, raw fruits, and leafy vegetables. Dude, no more candy. And dude, I'm like, Good for you, yeah, dude. absolutely. Like, you that's that's a, you're on a health track, like, yeah, that's sweet. And that's not like a di- like a like a fad diet, that's just a good, yep, standard nutrition. I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat 
normal food that either lives on or grows from the earth. Yeah, and like, I'm not going to eat any more candy or milkshakes. And I'm yeah. like, sweet. Yes, dude, great. Less refined sugar, good call. And then they just like, what made you so hip on bodybuilding? I think they're a little like uh, uh, concerned yeah. and intimidated about this. They don't want their friend to shame. Well, I mean, can you imagine if you were Frank and Joe Hardy and all of a sudden your friend Chet Morton was bigger, stronger, handsomer, <laughs> musclier than you? Like, well, you got to talk him down. You got to talk him out of it. It, yeah. will, it will never happen. No. Uh, yeah. And so he he gets a job as the new assistant supervisor. It turns out he just got a job for the mm-hmm. summer. Yep. As the assistant supervisor of physical training at Doc Grafton's health farm. Which I thought, personally, that that was going to turn into something like more of a plant. That they needed some guy. Because he doesn't yeah. look like the guy. But then at the same time, it's, it's sort of a convalescent home. And he yeah. seems like... I mean, you're like, not looking for a big, like a yeah. big physical training. You want somebody to kill them. No, exactly. You're looking for someone who's like, and let's keep it up, folks. Everybody's doing great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, he, and Chet's perfect for that job. Yeah. So his job is going to be basically bouncing medicine balls, throwing them back and forth with guests to help mm-hmm. them get in, mm-hmm. get in shape. And what uh, do they say to him? They say, oh, now I get it. You mean they hired you as an exercise boy? Yeah. Yeah. That's what he said. But it actually turns out, and, and he goes back to be like, well, it's an assistant manager position because I have a... But who cares? Yeah, why are you kind of... Also, he's like 17. This isn't his career. No. It's a summer job. So then they make a comment because Zachary Mudge is there. Like, oh, what can you imagine Chet putting Zachary Mudge through the bit, through the exercise bit? And then they have to tell him all about... Yeah, because uh, they continue to... They always fill up... They're really gracious. They're always filling everybody in on their entire adventure, which you would assume as a friend of the Hardys must get fucking exhausted. Yeah, and they immediately... He immediately checks out. He says, glass eyes, strong arm crooks, not for me. Mm -mm. And then they're like, we'll call on your muscles for help. And he's like, no, I have a job. Please stop. Please don't. Yeah, I'm 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 actually over this. Yeah, I'm just trying to get in shape. Like later when he goes to the party without a date and he's the only one. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Well, oh. That's why my favorite book of all of these was the one where it ended with him dancing with a girl. <laughs> that was the one. Because he needed that. And it was a college girl. So the boys agree. Chet says that he's going to go pick up his sister mm-hmm. and and, mm-hmm. uh, and Callie Shaw well, at the movie. The whole reason he's because he really should be in bed. Yeah. But he he's still, him. yeah, because he has his first day on the job. Yeah. At the but, there, but his sister's movie gets out at like 10.30. Like so he's kind of killing time. Yeah. Mm- Hauling Solid down protein, yeah, yeah, exactly, and, and just being a pro, just like I and he didn't even go to the movie with him. No, like was like, no, you do your thing. I'll just, I'll pick you up after. So then they're like, oh, we'll go get him. You're picking up Callie and Iola, yeah, who are of course um, their Cal- favorite dates. Yeah, their favorite dates. Yeah, Joe and Frank's favorite dates are mm-hmm. Callie, and, and they agree to go pick them up, and then they don't. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. They they they're like, we'll do it, and Chet's like, are you sure? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and he manages to get a free hamburger out yep. of him, uh, but uh, but yeah, and then and then they do not, they absolutely do not pick up those girls. <laughs> they get to the movie theater, mm-hmm. but then someone just robbed the movie theater. Yep, and is running Why would out. You rob a movie theater? I don't know either, because that's like they can't have that much cash on the end. Two hundred dollars in the register probably before they do the bank drop. Well, yeah. I mean, this is probably before the drop, right? Like right, but no, I mean, this I, is one of those like, no, how did things work back then? They like, probably had like. Fifty dollars in the register. I don't even. I mean, yeah. if, if if that, that seems like a ton of money. Um, like, You're right. 
like in these books sometimes the boys will get like ten dollars and it will last and it will like they will, that's a trip to New York like <laughs> yeah exactly but um yeah that, so they so they chase one of the goggler crooks who just robbed mm-hmm. the movie and they just, which again he's wearing a, a nylon and then and then sack and then cock. light up lights right over his eyes can't see no he cannot see the fact that he doesn't break his ankle coming off the curb <laughs> like six feet out. <laughs> Out the movie theater is its own miracle. So yeah, they. But uh, instead, he gets in a car and drives away. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so dangerous. <laughs> um, they they decide to chase after this person. Yep. They get in their car. They for completely yep. forget their. Immediately, as soon as they see a man running out of the front of the movie theater where they're supposed to pick up their dates, they're like, "Follow him!" And <laughs> it's done. And they do, and they. Uh, Let's see, they, they just puncture a tire, right? Yeah, well, the other car ends up in a ditch. Oh, that's right. That's the one that blows the tire. The car, like, yeah, and, and they pull up behind it. Mm-hmm. No, it's turned on its side. Oh, the blue hardtop was lying on its side. The wheel's still spinning. Mm-hmm. That's, they decide, so I, I'm not, I'm not going to read this. It's, it's fine. I, the one thing is, is that's important is that when they run up to see the guy who's driving the car that just crashed, he is swarthy and has a hooked nose face. Swarthy, shocker. Hook nose, shocker. Yeah. And so they ask him if he's if he's hurt, and then they they like he said, grab his arm, Joe, and help me swing him over so I can search his coat pocket. And I'm like, what? No, like you have no right. Yeah, just hold him till the cops show. Yeah, exactly. The cops will do that. They didn't call the cops though before they chased this guy. I guess. That's true. Um, but then they decide to haul this guy who is acting like his legs are injured. They're just going to drag him out of the car, which I'm like, you don't have to do that. It's not on fire. It's not. Yeah. But they do that. If you've ever seen an episode of Cops where somebody gets like arrested for crack and immediately they're like, oh, my leg. Oh, my leg, my leg. Yeah, exactly. You're like, come on, dude. <laughs> yeah, and like, and also, if you'll notice, the cops in that episode of Cops are like, come on, dude. Like, <laughs> they haul him to his feet and he's like, no, I can't walk, can't walk. And the moment that they set him down. And they're like, well, he's saying his leg. And then they turn and he's, he's like, he's gone. It, he's gone. Handcuffs on. And they're like, oh. That's exactly what happened. But, but can we talk about, because the way that he happens is he fakes that he has yes. my, my, my poor leg. Him. And then he waits until Joe is distracted by something else. And then he reaches out and the illustration. Oh, it's so of, good. It's like 39, yeah. Yeah, because it doesn't look, it doesn't make any sense. The guy is on the ground and he's reaching out and he's he's got a real good firm grip on uh, Frank. Is it? No, it must be Joe. No, I think it's Frank. On it's Frank's like, ankle. Yeah. It I, looks like he's like shoving upwards. You have to be so strong yeah. to grab a standing adult man's man. ankle. A- ankle, whose weight presumably is balanced on both feet, and like jerk him to the ground. Or shove it up in the air enough that he... Like can't. if someone, if I was standing right now and Some somebody grabbed him. me by the ankle, I'd just kick him. Yeah, like <laughs> with my other f- yeah. obviously free. Foot. Well, no, with the foot connected by the ankle. Yeah, and like, no. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's enough. Grabbing, yes. you can grab Frank by one ankle and jerk it out from under him, and he will fall down. And so after this whole thing happens, I don't think they check in with the cops at this point, but they just go back to the to the movie theater, and they're like, and then they they find out that the show ended like a long time ago. Yeah, exactly, because they went on like a whole car chase and all yeah. this other, so and, and hung back. out with a dude at a car wreck waiting for police to arrive. And so like, they go back to the. And to the diner, to the where, diner where they yeah. saw Chet. And everyone's like, hey, there you are. And you think Chet's going to be like, remember how 
Remember how you guys said that you were going to go and pick up the girls, and then you didn't pick up the Whatever, girls? Whatever, fatty. And then he's like, okay, well, you know what? I forgive you for all of this, but I have to work in the morning. So can we go home? <laughs> what like, did the Hardy Boys say? No. No, we're going to order some hamburgers first. Okay. Okay. And then everybody <laughs> hangs out while the Hardy Boys get their hamburgers and eat them. Yeah, where they could have said... Oh, you go home, Chad. We'll yeah, go, go. Yeah, we'll have some hamburgers but and we'll call you in the morning. They're laugh. like, nope, no one can leave until we have eaten. And even Iola has to get on, on the ribbing. She's like, you're excused. It didn't take us long to find our, our to find my big brother. I'm like, bitch. Like, yeah, except, why? Why are Can they... he have one person on his side? Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So they Poor get guy. home. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Fenton Hardy is going over some case reports and he learns about the goggler. Um, let's see. Oh, he, he he comments that it's weird that a member of the Goggler gang would would hold up a movie, movie theater. Yeah, Is that I guess. Ever explained? Yes, but I mean, it's in that info dump. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, which wait. yeah, it's so dumb. And they said he's looking for a swindler named Ace Pampton, and I was like, oh, that's the same case. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Don't wait for that case to be over to start a new case. It's the same case. Right. It's very clearly, very clearly, these are all tying together. Uh, also, um, so he sends them because he says, "I'm finally on that stolen jeweled Shiva." Yeah, hey, do you remember? The jeweled Siva, that thing that was that that seems like it's supposed to be from a different book, the that, one on the radio that appeared on the radio is like a a jeweled what, idol was yeah, stolen. Yeah, six inch. Yeah, anyway, so remember the jeweled Siva? Yeah, apparently uh, Fenton Hardy is gonna be on that case, but he has finished the case he's working on first because one case at a time. And but he sends the boys out to interview the woman who it was stolen mm-hmm. from. I just he's like, well, he's like, I've been offered the case, but I can't take the case but until I track down did. Ace Pampton. But you know what you could do is you could do the, the legwork that I normally <laughs> yeah, do at exactly. the beginning of the case, so that when I'm ready, I don't have to do any work. They're like, awesome. They find out that a car is tailing them on their way up there. And oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're being tailed. It's like a green sports car mm-hmm. with, a, with a license plate they catch a couple numbers of. And yeah. it's Torpedo V8. And that's related to uh, the other car that, that crashed that right. they were chasing was a Torpedo V8. And it was stolen. They find out also it was stolen from a company called Imzier Motors. Imzier Motors. That's totally. Oh, the yep. third of the elderly men. Yeah, the, of the site of the weird, eccentric, rich elderly men. Well, it's time to check in with Bingo for the oh. first time. Okay. Let's see. Um, let's see. Boys have not been tied up. No shipwreck, no horse chase. Haven't trespassed. Um, I, I didn't get anything on this run through. Uh, a minority that's not filler. Tony trespassing occult the sleuth. I have the sleuth. Awesome fist fight. There's I been at least one fist fight. Who who'd they fight so far? There's the oh, grab well, of the ankle. That's not really a fist fight. No. Okay. But okay. what about when they got uh, brought into that uh, clubhouse? And they oh, that's a fist fight. Uh, anyway, uh, they decide to take a boat. Down yes. to up, up the river. Up, up. Is it up? River? Up a river. Yeah, is what they say. The, I have to say, um, I don't understand the geography of Bayport. They they motor up to this dock, right? Yes. And it's clearly like I've been playing a lot of Red Dead Redemption lately. Sure. So it's like you're clearly in the little fishing village that's like north of Saint Denis. But anyway, like where you you gotten into hillbilly country. Okay. You've left you've left the city, big city, and you're in hillbilly country. And you know this because as they as they pull up to the dock. There's a kid wearing nothing but overalls. Yeah, it's Opie. Yeah, it's Opie. And he's and he's fishing and he's looking almost surly. Yeah. And they're like, do you know where we can find this house? And he does tell them. And he does tell them. And they're like, thank you. And then he's like, you guys realize you just scared off a big 
uh, fat, small mouth bass. He's mad because they scared away his, his fish. fish. Probably what he was going to eat. Yeah, exactly. But you know, for some reason, the way he's like surly, mm-hmm. and they're and and he says, "You scared away a big fat bass," and they're like, "Well, in the future, we'll keep our big fat boat out of here." Which yeah. is like, why? I was like, "We're totally antagonizing." Yeah. These. After they talk to this like weird dog food breath kid, they uh they go to this poor woman's house, mm-hmm. and um. Yeah, and this she, was she confusing. Tells, yeah, well, they go up and they... It's clearly from a different book. It's clearly a different from a mystery. different mystery. They're like, we, my, my dad wants to take your case, but we want to ask you some questions. And mm-hmm. she says, like, come on in. And she says, I can see what you're thinking. You're wondering how someone as poor as I am ever managed to own a priceless object as the jeweled Sheba. Well, there's a long story attached to it. We'd like to hear it, Joe murmured. And I was like, is that sarcasm? He's like, oh, we'd like to hear it. We'd like to hear it. I'm like, don't mumble, (laughs) you murmuring weirdo. (laughs) So her late husband, Clarence Lunbury, (laughs) he was an archaeologist. But I think he was actually just a a grave robber. Yeah. Yeah. Because he he went all over the world to dig among ancient ruins. to and I was like, dig to, up to, to dig loot, up graves. To loot to, graves. Yeah, exactly. To loot like, graves. well, all these things should be returned then, right? Like to the British Museum. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. The, probably the, the yeah, well, well. Museum of Natural History in New York. Basically, uh, he he stole this uh, valuable artifact and was told that there was a curse on it, and then was like, mm-hmm. okay. And took it anyway. And then a bunch of people died of, of things that they would probably die of. Mm-hmm. Malaria, being mauled by a leopard. Like, You'd probably hard, die of that anyway. It's hard to blame a curse for being mauled by, by a wild animal. Yeah. Unless it's like... More easy to blame the curse for the malaria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess. Um, <laughs> you're like, yeah, but like, he was carrying a bunch of raw meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the dark alone. Oh, yeah, by himself. In the... What were you... Yeah, well, yeah. it was a dare. Um, but then you notice that, like, her... And then he, her husband lost a bunch of money. Yes. And then he died. And, and then the curse is, from what I understand, over. Yeah, but instead of selling the thing, she, like, kept it as a grave robber souvenir. Yeah. But then she finally came across. Upon... Oh, so let's tie that on the end, because maybe the curse does come back. Oh, yeah. Anyway, she gave it to a, a de- antique dealer named Fontana mm-hmm. in New York City, and it was stolen from Fontana's antique store. And his insurance company uh, won't cover it because she didn't sign her side of the contracts. Yeah, which this I, lady got scammed, dude. Yeah. Well, she said that it was like her absent-mindedness that she never signed like, it. Oh, you but know, I, I just feel know. like that, like, uh, isn't a verbal contract binding in the state of New York? I don't know. I feel like that's been used that's been a big of part time. of like the people's court. Yeah, like, yeah. And so, like, I feel like just the the whole intention. There's a lot of. Well, later it turns out that Fontana is actually going to collect that insurance stuff. Um, because I feel like if you look at the paper trail, there's a there was at least a good faith agreement. His name is Fontana. Yeah, he's not a good guy. In the Come book, on. Like, buddy. yeah. Sorry to all you Fontanas out there. Uh, apparently, F.W. Dixon thinks that, that you Fontana is a bad, bad guy name. name. Yeah, exactly. Um, do they see like a lurker? Yeah, they do. They see a head with no face. Or maybe a person wearing a nylon stocking on their face, but... That's like when they saw somebody held, in a previous book, held a mask in front of a window, and they're like, a floating head! Yeah, exactly! It's the exact opposite of that. But yeah, they they freak out, and then, but when they do run outside, the person 
has drawn the sim the same symbol of the, oh, yes, eye, the eye that was on, whoever was outside with wearing the mask has drawn yeah. it on their house. Clearly, which, which was the first time that I wrote like, why the calling cards? Yeah, like if you're a crime syndicate that yes. is actually you're trying to get away with crimes, you don't leave calling cards it's not this isn't the wild west we're like and tell everybody you got robbed by the wefso gang yeah you know like <laughs> no it's maybe with the chewing gum it's yeah. my calling card and you're like why well, yeah, exactly. because <laughs> you want to get caught so they they after this whole interlude with this old lady they go to see bill braxton at the hospital mm-hmm. and he's fine first yep. they run into um they run into Tony, and Tony's like, "You got to go see Chet Morton as soon as possible. It's urgent." And they're like, "Okay." And then well, they first don't. He, he radios them. Yes. And, and I know that we are slowing ourselves down a lot, but this is actually one of the big things I want to talk about about radios. this book is the radios. How okay. How radios work? Well, and not only that, but you know, you think we think to ourselves as millennials, and I mean, I remember a time before cell phones and the internet, sure. but I was, you know, twelve or thirteen or under that, you know, but like. We have this conversation a lot about, like, how did things happen before <laughs> phones? Or, like, how did you do that before the internet, right? Yeah. I wonder how you would have called somebody in their car while you were in your car back in the 30s. Shortwave radio. Well, it turns out that the way that you do that, if you're writing a fictional book, is you just invent cell phones <laughs> about 60 or 70 years before they were invented. And you just call them shortwave And you just radio. call them shortwave radios and everybody has one. But, like... Charles, you must have some memories of a time before cell phones. Yeah, of course. In those vague memories that you have, how many times did you radio someone? Like, radio. I'm just going, come on, come on, Charles. Like, I mean, our but they make was it, a trucker. And that but they make it seem like everybody just radioed each other. Just radioed each other all the time. And like, how do they all know what frequency they're on? Yeah. Or and how do they not mix it up with other frequencies? Other... That's what I'm saying. It's not radio. It's, it's cell phones. They were like, well, how are they going to call each other? We'll just, we'll, we'll say that it's a radio. But they just made, they just, it turns out that how did things happen in stories before there were cell phones? They, they invented made, they cell phones and then everybody just used that. Like, <laughs> that's great. It's, all right. Well, they get this, they get this radio from Tony and Tony's like, you gotta go talk to Chet Morton immediately as soon as possible. And they're like, will do. But then they don't. They don't. First, he's like, somebody was looking after you. And they make a, they, and they're like, okay. He's like, I'll let you know when you get here. Yeah. And they motor all the way there. And they're like, what do you think that was about? When they get there, he's like, Chet was uh, asking around about you. Chet, our friend Chet. He's like, yeah, better, better hurry. And they're like, okay. Why couldn't you be like, hey, uh, Chet wants you to go to... Yeah, anyway. They, anyway. But yeah, so they, the, but then they don't. Chet says it's urgent. He wants you to meet him. And they're like, why don't we, uh, why don't we stop by a different hospital? First? You know, that reminds me that that other person is probably conscious. This is the first example, and there's many in this book, of the boys scheduling stops that yeah. they don't have time for. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> they're like, we're supposed to be there in like five minutes, but let's stop at a different place and talk to a person for let's, 15. Let's stop at a hospital and find a parking space and ride in the elevator up to the way and find out which room he's in and then go and talk to Like <laughs> When they do talk to Bill Braxton, he's like, I'm fine. I guess I have a thick skull from being a race car driver. I'm like, you have CTE. And uh, That was the second time I was like, race car driver? Have we met Bill Braxton before? Because I like, do kind of wonder. He's he's just fine, but they won't let him out of the hospital for some reason. He said that he met Spotty Lemuel, or Lambert, as Bill Braxton knows him, because he used to drive uh, stock cars. Car. Yeah, stock cars over for Izmir Motors. And they're like, <gasps> Izmir Motors That's was the place time. where those torpedo V8s or were stolen from. Tornado? Anyway. Torpedo. You're right. 
Yeah. Torpedo uh, via. They were stolen from Izmir mm-hmm. Motors. So they're like, oh my God, there's a connection. That's exactly right. And then they go to... They decide that they're going to go and talk to Zachary Mudge. At the health farm. At the health farm. Where Chet works. So they pull up to the... Um, yes, they, the health club. The and health Chet's club. Outside. And Chet, it, and he has a kind of worried look on his face. He says, you says, boys about to be kidnapped. Kidnapped. He's like, yeah. Chapter cliffhanger. Okay, but you've been kidnapped lots of times. And it's kind of cool if there's like a different twist on the kidnapping yeah, where you exactly. let yourself get kidnapped because you know what's about to happen. Which the boys have also done. They've yeah, allowed themselves sure. to be kidnapped. But um, yeah, but yeah. And he, then he's like, ah, but anyway, I'm not off for another half an hour. Half an hour, I so do love let's this, take a though. tour. This is great. They said, why did you tell us to... To come at 11.30 if you don't get off until noon. And he's like, because I wanted to make sure that you would get here in time. Yeah. He specifically is like, you guys are off, uh, always off on a bunch of harebrained screen- schemes. I wanted to make sure that you arrived. So I, yeah. I he's, yeah, And then he's, he's like, he's like, but since we have 30 minutes, let's take a tour. And I'll they, just show you they, around. Yep. They walk around. He points out a large man with large hands named Rip Cinder, who yes. I wrote down as Rip Cinder hired goon yeah absolutely uh, <laughs> he's an ex-pug is what they pugilist yeah, yeah that's ex-boxer yeah. yeah i figured that's what it meant yeah he's ex-pugilist yeah but they never use the word pugilist no they just ex-pug they call him but a you gotta remember this was 1937 people where, knew like, what that people was. boxed as the boys stood chatting and looking around a burly man with a shock of thick black hair came toward them. he also wore a green gym shirt revealing sloping muscular arms and furry ape-like arms his nose was flat and almost shapeless. Cauliflower ears stuck out of his bullet-like head. I'm like, oh, he is a bad guy. Yeah. Possibly he has some sort of like... You know, actually, when you described it again, it reminds me of um, Chunk from yeah. Goonies. Yes, he does. Bullet-shaped head. Yeah, the ears. Like large gorilla arms, cauliflower ears. And he can't speak because he got punched in the throat. Shit. It's a Goonies crossover, and oh I'm just God. realizing that right that now. Rip Cinder is chump. Are you guys? They punched somebody. Punched him in the Adam's apple so, so hard he can't talk no more. Poor guy. They do go see Mr. Mudge. Zach Mudge, the character. Zachary Mudge was seated in a deck chair with his spindly legs stretched out. As before, he was clad only in shorts and a straw hat. Did you want to see us, sir? Frank said. What? Speak up, boy. As Frank repeated his words in a bellow, Mr. Mudge fiddled with his hearing aid. All right, all right, you don't have to shout. I'm not deaf. Certainly I want to see you. Why do you think I sent for you? And that's like every he single interaction with Zachary Mudge. He didn't send for them. No. He found out they were there and yeah. would come over here. It was like, get, get over here. And also like every single interaction with him is him being like, Speak up, boy. Stop shouting. Hurry up, boy. Slow down. Like they're, yeah, they're they trying to come up with... thought it was funny. Um, in the last Nancy Drew book that we just did, there was yeah. a woman, a rich woman with a lot of poodles that I felt like, oh, they wanted to have a character in this book. Yeah, that's literally, every time he shows up, I'm like, oh, remember, he's a character. Like, <laughs> that's literally his, his descriptive feature. They basically find out that he wants to buy Braxton's boat. Yeah, well, they they convince him that, that he, wants he wants to buy, to buy Braxton's, Braxton's boat. boat. Yeah. Because it would be useful to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly, exactly. Then, let's see, They uh, Chet shows in the rest of the building, and then they see Chet doing exercises on... Oh, no, they walk by, like, a, a sawhorse, like a gym, like a gym, you know, yeah. uh, like a gymnast. A pommel horse! No, I wrote this down, horse. too! Man! You, boys. Yeah. Like, seriously, they're like, like, they walk by a pommel horse, like, all what? of the three of them together. And they're like, hey, I bet you couldn't use that. And he's like, no, I, I have to go change out of my work clothes and stuff. And they're like, okay, we understand, you're fat. And he's like, okay, I'll okay, do it. Okay, you know what? Fine. And he does a pretty good job, and he falls. 
Yeah. And then, but then I, I do say, I mean, they, they're clearly laughing at him, but he says, anyhow, it was a good try. And I'm like, there was a moment of them trying to, like, not. Yeah, but you will notice that neither Frank or Joe tried the pommel horse for themselves. Or tried they, to help him up. Yeah, exactly. They were like, hey, they were like, yeah, hey, Chet, go try that. <laughs> you fucking suck, Chet. Anyway, what's the next thing? Like, <laughs> so they uh, they get they get kidnapped by Iola and Callie for surf beach party. And yeah, and then the description of the party is they get kidnapped for a surf beach party by Callie and Iola. And Callie and Iola brought their surfboards, which means that they went to the Hardy Boys' house. I just wrote weird friends. Yeah. Like, they went yeah. to the Hardy Boys house and took their things out of the house. And we're like, no, no, it's cool. We're it's gonna... fine, yeah. And the parents were probably, I mean, Laura Hardy is probably so tranked out at this point. Oh, my she God. She's so she's like, look, look. And... She's like, Frank and Joe just went into the garage. Into the garage. And Aunt Gertrude was like, those were women. Those were women. And she's like, well, they wanted the surfboards. And they said they were Frank and Joe, or for Frank and Joe. I don't, I don't. I'm going to lie down. The flowers are so beautiful. No flowers, Laura. <laughs> um, and there's, uh, they also brought their swimming trunks and two picnic hampers. Mm. So it's, uh, I'm like, this is just the weirdest thing. Uh, can we get a bing if you're playing at home for oh, yes. picnic? Also, I have a party, and I think this qualifies as both a picnic and a party. They go down to Gremlin Beach, which uh, is fine as long as you're not there like after midnight. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, they go surfing. It's a heck of a day for the surfboards. Yep. Is what they say. And then Tony and Biff show up and they both brought They also dates. brought their own dates. They brought Unnamed up, dates. Uh, literally not named. They're like, they also brought women. Women. Like, <laughs> and they make no comment of the fact that mm-hmm. Chet is alone. I Oh, the, the whole thing. I, I did write poor Chet. But this whole thing about Biff tried and did a wipeout. I'm like, no, he didn't do a wipeout. He wiped out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, it's it's like the boy, like Frank was really amazing. And then Joe was really amazing too. And then somebody else tried it and couldn't do it. And did a wipeout. And did a wipeout. When they're out like surfing, he sees some kid, Opie. They see dog food breath. They say dog food. No, it's like, not dog food breath. Oh, it's, no, the it's the lookout kid. It is the lookout kid. From the... From the uh, yeah, from the, the old house. The club, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's hitting on Iola or Callie or something. Yeah. I mean, they could tell she's annoyed. She's annoyed by him. They also would probably immediately assume, like, hey, yeah. that guy's moving in on my girl. Exactly. This weird guy. He says his name is Fred Hare. Didn't have to give a real name. Mm-mm. Chose to. And Does that sound like a real name to you? Turns out to be real. Fred Hare, H-A-R-E. Yeah. It turns out to be real. Which I got beef with. Yeah. But we'll get there. So he tells them, like, I was the... He's like, I'm staying at a resort with my parents, and somebody paid me $5 to act as a lookout at that house. And he's like, I met a guy on the street who... So... Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to... Yeah, no, I was saying, I met a guy on the street I'd never seen before, and he gave me the money. And they're like, it could have been Spotty Lemuel. And then, at a call from Tony, the Hardys turned their heads. Fred seized his chance and sprinted towards a sand dune. They looked up, and as they topped the dune, they saw him leap into a boat. A boat? What? Where did that boat come from? And it's on the beach? But anyway, he jumps into a boat, and then he shouts at them, I I fed you guys a pack of lies! I know plenty more! The boat sped off. And I just wrote, awesome. Because I think that... It was so confusing. Like, what a cartoon mystery moment. It made me think of our uh, our president, and him using the phrase, and many more! Yeah! (laughs) 
to end a long Twitter rant where you're like, and many more what? What? Yeah. I fed you guys a pack of lies. And many more. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was great. I, I do too, but like I was just so, and especially given what we're going to learn later about that kid. Oh, yeah. I, I'm like, why did he do that? <laughs> why did he do that? Yeah. Joe was furious, but Frank calmly strode back to their convertible to call Chief Colleague. As the radio warmed up, the Hardys were startled to hear Aunt Gertrude's voice over the speaker. Boys, come home at once, she said. I've caught the scoundrel who's behind this mystery. What? I don't understand how radio is. Uh, okay, yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like the way they described it is you get in your car, and then you turn on your radio. And you hear kind of that, like an like, old, an old, uh, oh. as it powers on, like when you have old AM radio in a car. So they do warm up. They put power on. And then they... And then after and then it's been there, it's if it, maybe if you left it off, because I feel like their radio has voicemail. Otherwise, that's absurdly convenient. <laughs> They're like, at, boys, come home. I've caught the culprit. And then it's like, oh, this is Chief Caller. Got the <laughs> like, like, how do they get all <laughs> all their messages? Right? Like, was just, she on repeat? Yeah. And so, but but apparently it's not a recording because she says this is because he immediately was like, this is Frank on Gertrude. Who is the fellow that you've caught? And I've no time to explain. Yeah, you do. Yeah, exactly. Just get home here at once and help me attend to him. Your mother is out. Over and out. Because uh, Aunt Gertrude she understands radio is energy. starting to... And, and I think... Oh, this and was... she's a mystery solver in this one. She's a mystery solver. She's tied up a criminal. This is actually where I wrote, Aunt Gertrude, the third hardy boy. Oh, yeah, for you sure. <laughs> like, uh, they get home, though. Uh, mm-hmm. they, Iola and Callie look stricken when they announced they had to rush home, but they recovered their good spirits. Mm-hmm. And just are like, eat a hamburger. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. And they uh, pack them hamburgers. And yeah. they go, okay. As they drive home. Yep. Because no, they drive. It... <laughs> I already ate one. We'll pack some more for the road. Well, I, don't need I'm not, I am not Chet Morton. I don't need to eat six hamburgers between here and my house. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you? But when they get home, there's no Aunt Gertrude, and they mm. find her tied up in the basement. Oh. And uh, she's tied up, and there's a note that says, take my advice and keep this blabbermouth gagged all the time. You know what? You should take that advice. <laughs> like, because Aunt, good. Yeah, Aunt Gertrude is a blabbermouth. Good, good uh, dig. Right, exactly. But We get our first leaping lizards on page Yep, leaping lizards. I also m- noted that. And actually, it's our only leaping lizards in the book. whole book. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the uh, but then they see that chalked on the door. What to their to their study to their dad's study is the eye, <sighs> yeah, the and they can tell the that eye. somebody has tried to get into the uh, safe. Looks as though he never did manage to get into the safe. Frank remarked. Indeed, he didn't. Gertrude Hardy retorted. I snatched up a vase from the hallway table and struck him over the head with it. The man was out cold. I believe you two would say. Frank and Joe's faces broke into broad grins. Nice work, Auntie, said Frank. Is that when you went downstairs and called us over the radio? Yes, Aunt Gertrude went on. But when I came back up to check on him, the scoundrel had revived. This time he waved a small bottle of nitroglycerin that he brought to blast open the safe and threatened to blow up the house. I, well, became faint with nervous shock, and that was when he tied me up. But not before I gave him a good piece of my mind. Do you want me to keep going? No, that was it. Um... So, she thought that that his first of all—that's enough to blow up a house. First of all, he brings in a a vial of nitroglycerin, and he's like, "I am going to blow up the safe with this." Yeah. But now that you are threatening me, I'm going to blow up the whole house with it. Yeah. 
like the, the he can perfect. like he can choose like whether it's going to be a house detonating nitroglycerin or, or just safe. a small safe detonating nitroglycerin. No and then also my favorite part about it is that she says she saw that and she basically fainted. Yes, but not without giving. A piece of her mind, which means she <laughs> was like, like, she was like, oh, well, I ought to help. Oh, I call the police in my heart. A real piece, and he was like, blabbermouth. I'm gonna write a Jesus. whole note about that. Even when she was passing out, she was like, give you a piece of my mind. You never go to work with us. You should keep her gagged all the time. All the time. All the time. Let's see. Oh, yeah. So he cleared. So the guy apparently cleared out and didn't get into the safe. Nope. And and so. And Mrs. Hardy describes him because she says that uh, appearances, uh, no, features do reveal character, which is yeah. like phrenology. Yeah, sort yeah. Sort of like old school suicide. Right, exactly. And they agree that it wasn't Spotty Lemuel based no. on her description. Yep, they agree. Um, and then they realize that they forgot to call the chief about that suspicious kid. But I'm like, that's dang, cool. yeah, We'll, we'll get to it at some point. The next note that I have is... Casing Izmir Motors. So how do they get there? Remind they, me. Let's see. They after breakfast they drive to Ocean City and they get directions to Izmir Motors and then it's like a huge car lot and they see uh, a whole row of green torpedoes, uh, V8s. That's pretty much what this car, what this dealership specializes in. Yeah, and they have torpedoes. a lot full of cars for sale and then they have a field behind the lot full of more cars yeah. that they're going to put in when the cars that are for sale on the lot have sold. So they drive down and they look at all the all the licenses. They finally find one that has the license that has the same a couple of the same numbers as the one that almost uh, Yeah. Like DZ7. That's DZ7. all they remember yeah, is the yeah. first three digits. They go to talk to the manager and he's the first person who reacts normally where they demand a bunch of information and he's like, and he's like what the no. Yeah, no. I think he's like, I uh, have better things to do than answer questions from a bunch of... Yeah, and they t- he tells him, like, our father, Fenton Hardy, is a private investigator. And he's like, okay. Yeah. And they're fine. like, well, who owns that car? And he's like, I can't, I can't tell you. I who. can't tell you and won't tell you. And uh, call the police. I have like, other yeah. things to do. And then they said, maybe you'd rather have us go to the police. And, and I was like, like <gasps> yeah, and he responds. But I was like, if I was that guy, I'd be like, for what? But... When the when the Hardys do it, it's a threat. Yes. It's like, well, you know, if you don't talk to us, we'll just go get. You could talk police. to a person. Like, okay, well, hey. well, then, hey, you know, maybe, maybe this guy, maybe once I admit my crimes, this person won't tell the police. But I really like, like that the guy, uh, that the guy goes, uh, he's like, I'll go check, and then runs away, and they're like, I think he left. I'm pretty sure he ran away. <laughs> he ran away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they, uh, oh, that's right. They they see that the green car like drives away, that mm-hmm. they, and so they follow it. But yep. it's nighttime, so they keep their it's lights car off. Chase. So at one point, they, they're they like, well, and, and the funny thing is, they follow the car, like, through all the, like, bright, heavily lit streets, but it's only once they get under the country where there aren't any street lights they're like, kill the that lights. they're like, we should kill the light. <laughs> and they just drive blind, and then, um, which... Uh, like, let's turn on the lights real quick. And when they turn it on, they're like, oh, shit. Right. <laughs> but but, but while, while they're driving with the lights off, we get our second Frank towing the accelerator oh, right. kind of wiggling his toe around stop it he's he's towing it but yeah as soon um, as they turn out the light they realize they're, they're like let's turn on the lights holy fuck <laughs> <laughs> let's see so when they get out of their car after the crash they're fine i guess they're shaking yep, yep. But, but they okay. get out and immediately they're beaten up yep and knocked out grabbed punched beaten up and tied up and then left tied up lying in the road and they wake up like 15 20 minutes later so let's some yeah. permanent brain damage. Permanent da- brain damage. Um, <laughs> it does. Uh, it does. I. 
I don't understand why they knocked them out. Like disabling their vehicle seems should to be, be enough. Good but they're enough. like, well, we should also incapacitate them. I, I, that I, means I, that some guys hung around by that place yeah. where their car crashed instead well, of just getting picked up by the car that well, was chasing. Well, it's the same reason that when they went into that house, yeah. the guys kept going at their pockets. They're, yeah, trying to get in their. Pockets. I'm, I'm using I'm using finger quotes pockets. Right. At their and pockets. also, when when this happened, I was like, hey boys, when this is over, you might want to check your pockets. pockets. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, <laughs> feel around down there. Make sure something any, was disturbed. Any sore spots. Uh, <laughs> but Jesus yeah, they uh, they wake up and they're like, aren't we a bunch, of, a bunch of dummies? It looks like there was a bunch of construction signs. Mm-hmm. Not that they would have seen it anyway with well, their lights they, off. They, and they specifically say like a bunch of them have been obscured too. This but was yeah, one, of the, one of the things that made me think of the 1930s though. Is this nearby, uh, nearby lanterns and warning flares all extinguished. And the idea of like... Uh, they're uh, lanterns. A construction site having flame lanterns. Flame lanterns. That yeah, seems totally. Like something from 1937. Absolutely. But then they and then when they analyze the damage of their car, they're like, "Well, the frame needed straightening." So my response was like, "Well, total then." Yeah, because right? you can't just take it back to a frame straightener. Yeah, exactly. In your car. Total. No, it's fine. They get a hold of a police operator. Let's see. Oh, they get back to their house after midnight. Mm-hmm. And there's a note that says Bill Braxton tried to reach them twice. The next yep. morning, they get up for breakfast. And they a hearty call. breakfast, if I remember correctly. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, they get up the next morning, and Bill offers to take them out on a trip on the sea spook. On his hydrofoil. Yes. The sea spook. And he says, yeah, come out, come out. There's on a bunch a, more. On t- and, well, and they say, and they say well, uh, uh, we think that we might know a man named Zachary Mudge, a Ooh, certain yeah. sh- uh, hatted, shirtless investor mm-hmm. uh, who might be interested. And he's like, well... Absolutely, he's the one who called me. That's the why I'm uh, setting up this whole display. Oh, it was because um, okay. yeah, Zachary Mudge called what Dick's da- Bill Braxton. Bill Braxton, I need you to pilot a hydrofoil boat to my shipyard manufacturer so they can analyze it to decide whether or not we should mass produce it. And he was like, "Cool, okay, <laughs> let's just do it." Yeah, that's keen all idea. Yep. Um, so they decide that they're going to ride with him. And then while he is at the boat works, they're going to take a quick jaunt. Just a quick trip to just New to, York City. This is another one of those like scheduling things where it's like, well, we've got 45 minutes. Do you want to go to New York? In 45 minutes, I guess we could probably take a ferry to Staten Island and then from Staten Island to Manhattan and then flag a cab. And then take <laughs> that cab to the other end of Manhattan and then find an antique, store. Uh, an antique store and then wait for the antique dealer to be done dealing with any customers in his shop. Like We can do that in 40 minutes. And it works great. Uh, it does. It all works out. They Perfectly. Go, they go talk to uh, this guy, who um, Fontana, I guess. Mm-hmm. Who I pictured with a, a French accent yeah. for some reason. Okay, sure. I don't some know, sort of maybe because Mr. French owned the costume shop and he owns the antique shop. Okay. But I assume that Mr. Fontana has <laughs> this... Uh, French, this, and it's not even real French accent. It is absurd French accent. Yeah, So they, and he owns a place called Objets de Art. So yes. and it's Federico Fontana, which to me sounds more, and more, Italian, and more Italian. But for some reason, I still think he's a, he a French man. I am a Federico Fontana. I love it. And then they're like, "I'm we're Mister Fenton Hardy's sons." He's like, "Oh my God, yes, definitely, I've heard of, of Fenton Hardy." And I was like, "How? How did you hear about yeah. Fenton Hardy?" But they don't really like. The only person he remembers who he figured was suspicious was a dark-skinned Any, man. You remember as like suspicious. suspicious? It's like, one of those moments, like, well, think for a second. Well, there was a dark-skinned well, for... man in a turban who appeared to be East Indian. Okay, well, anybody else? 
Because, like, I feel like you just noticed that guy. Just that guy. <laughs> right, yeah. Any other dark-skinned people? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Literally any other people is what we're oh, asking. But you said suspicious. Mm. Like, hook, like hook nose? Like hook, like, or like swart, are you asking about swarthy gentlemen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, oh, swarthy. Oh, um, unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, you're right. This is gonna, well, this one's going to be hell to edit for you. He buddy. doesn't give a lot of information, I guess. They do show him the glass eye, and he's like, he doesn't seem super into it. You think he'd be trying to get a hold of it real bad if he's a bad guy, but he doesn't. You're talking about um, when they show the antique dealer Fontana the glass mm-hmm. eye. They don't show it to him. It's back but at he the doesn't house. know. That's right. They but describe he doesn't it know him. what it is. Yeah, they describe it to him. Oh no, no, he does. They do take it out, and he's like, "Oh, so intriguing. I've never seen such an object before." He doesn't like. But he also says that he feels like it might have been contemporarily made. Sure. He specifically is like, it looks new. And he's like, can I hold on to it? And they're like, no. No. Yeah, exactly. And then um, they see- which is honestly one of those moments where like, oh shit, I might be missing in all the adventure the fact that they're actually building some foreshadowing there. Like in that scene, they told you that the glass eye is not an antique. It's not a treasure. It's new. Mm-hmm. They also tell you that like it doesn't have a you know it it doesn't have a lot of scratches on it. It doesn't seem to have any intrinsic value. Like sure, like it's not a valuable jewel, right? Which is going to start looping back in later. You know, it's so when they walk out, they see Zada, the blind informant, mm-hmm. and he uh well, he's like they're like, they're hey. like hey Zada, and he's like get away from me! I don't know who you are. I'll, I'll call you later. I don't yeah. know who you are. I'll call you later. Like, like, <laughs> He's very suspicious. And uh, they, they finally meet back up with the, with the, uh, with Bill Braxton at the boat. Oh, they decide to go out. And they, they're, do, they're about to do their boat demonstration. Boat demonstration. They're doing some boat tricks. Remember, they're, they're doing the boat demonstration so that Zach sure, Mudge... Yeah, can, can agree that they're... That they, he should invest and in this new hydrofoil boat design. So mass produce them for high-speed boating. Yes. But there's an accident, the rudder jams, something horrible happens, and, uh, yes, sabotage. sabotage. Frank and Braxton are hurled into the water, and they, they might be mangled by the propeller. Oh, they might. But they're not. But they're, they're fine. Not. No, they're fine. Because, I mean, what, is Frank going to get mangled by a propeller? Uh, like, are we going to read another 60 books where it's like, Joe, a start and howdy boy of 23, <laughs> and his paraplegic brother, Frank, wounded in a propeller accident in book 20. Like, <laughs> Yeah, they, uh, uh, Mudge is like, oh, well, looking at all of this, or at least whoever is looking at the demonstration, Rummel is the guy's name, is like, I don't know if mm. we can make a move on this. Seems pretty mm-hmm. experimental. And, and he's like, are you kidding? My boat was sabotaged. Yeah, somebody, he's like, somebody cut this thing with... With, with uh, literally, like, with a vibra saw or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. They cut through, a, like, titanium struts. And he's, he's like, like, oh, I think it probably... I think it was probably too, yeah, too hard of a turn. Yeah. Turn <laughs> okay. too hard. Yeah. And so, uh, oh, he's like, this doesn't make any sense to me other than the need to say the title of the book. They say, uh, who would have done it? He says, not a clue, unless it was someone who doesn't want the sea spook to go into production. You mean, like, a, a figure, figure in hiding? hiding? And you think Bill Braxton would be like, uh, no? No? What? And they're like, well, it's, I'm sorry, it's just... It's what we decided we to We decided the name of this book was Figure in Hiding, and it actually what turns book? out that it's really obscure, so we're probably not actually ever going to land on Figure in Hiding <laughs> in, like, a normal way. So, so we had to just sort of make Just kind of, like, wedge it. Hey, that's the name of this show. Yeah, uh, I guess that's what I put. That's the name of this show. They get home, they find out that they had a call from 
uh, Chief Colleague, and they learned that the license plate that they asked him to look in on is actually owned by Malcolm Izmir, the guy who the owned... owns Izmir Motors. Yeah. So yeah. when they asked the dude at the motor place, he should have been immediately like, "Oh, that's the oh, yeah, owner's that's car." The owner. Yeah. Um, but instead, he either he ran lied away. to them or ran away. Yeah, exactly. Like he clearly was subversive. Suspicious. And then they were like, "What about that kid?" Did you find anything about him? And they're like, well, he is staying with his parents he's at like, a resort. Turns out he's... Okay, but remember when I talked way earlier, like yeah. two hours ago <laughs> in podcast time, about how this was one of the rare moments of foreshadowing? Okay, yeah. They say that Lambert is staying at the Bayport Inn. Yes. And then, like he... 200 pages later, they're like, it turns out that this kid was staying at the Bayport Inn with his parents. And it's the same way he describes it. It was like some guy came up to me yeah. and offered me 20 bucks well, to be a lookout. Lambert. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like, that actually out. turns out to like pan out and turns out to be n- not foreshadowing in the like, that's the killer. Yeah. But in the like, there's a clue they if you're set, paying attention. They, they, they stayed in the same place. Yeah. And could have talked to each other. But like, I, I did like how it says, did his story check out? And the chief says, uh, it seems so. The crack about knowing more than he told you was just bragging. His father promised to give him a good talking to. And it made me think again of our of our president, the kind of guy who would just like tweet that he knows stuff that he shouldn't pretend to yeah. know because it, if he did know that, it would be illegal. He better hope there aren't tapes. And they call the repair garage and their convertible is already ready to pick up. It was totaled the night before. It was, it's fine. It's been. This is the second time now. That it's been, or maybe it's this the first, the first time it's been total in this book. Yeah. Um, then in this book, they call the motel, and the manager says that he keeps a record of all outgoing phone calls, and then he gives them the numbers that Lambert called. Like, like I didn't realize that hotels in the fifties and sixties wiretapped you. <laughs> I guess, but well, they had it makes own, a lot more sense had... now. It makes me understand the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Honestly, like, <laughs> yeah. like oh, all the phones. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I reading a bunch of Raymond Chandler, and every hotel he goes to has a little has a, a girl sitting at the PBX booth. That's where, true. Where she's doing all the phone. Yeah. Um, and like, usually that's his point of contact. In a and hotel. the Travis McGee books are the same way. Yeah. He'll go up and he'll hit on the PBX girl. The kind of mystery books you should be reading instead yeah. of listening to this goddamn podcast. What's wrong with you? Thanks for listening. The. Um, <laughs> They decide what they're gonna run over to Ocean City right away because as soon as just, you find just, out just about quick, a criminal, don't. you gotta go. Yeah, right, right now. You gotta them go get him. Confront them immediately. And they when they go to, in, they, have, they need to find a way to kind of keep it in the pants. Yeah, exactly. Like, Until hold on. Yeah, I don't always just go for it immediately. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But when they show up, the guy who was running the, the uh, store, he he turns pale when he sees them and is like, "Hey, come in." Yeah, no, 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 it's it's fine. Uh, you, you know. And I, then they're like, "Why didn't you just tell us that was your boss? Why were you car? a dick to us?" Before? And he was like, I, did, "I didn't know. I don't know. I don't know." And they're like, "You weren't very cooperative with us." And he's like, "I look. I I don't. I, don't I got a. I got a. I got a sleazy. I got a shady phone call saying right. that some teenagers were going to come in and try and scam me." And almost believable. Absolutely. Until they're like, "Yeah." <laughs> But then one of your other cars tried to run us off the road. True. Mm-hmm. That was like, part mm, of the call. Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> Very what weird. That, yeah, I don't even know what that was about, so um, I guess. But they, is this when they go out to the Izmir mansion? The guy who owns the... the they're about to go out. And they're and, like, you would be fun. What if we went and broke into a person's house? That's not how they start. They're no, like, they well, go we're out. Gonna, we're going to go call but here's on the Malcolm thing. Izmir. They go to the gate. They get no answer and are like... Well, let's go over. I guess I guess we go over the fence now, right? Yeah, which is still breaking and entering. Like it's, absolutely, it's the that's tr- trespassing, trespassing, 
when you walk up to somebody's door and you knock on the door and then you open it without anybody answering and go, hello, anybody yeah, home? Anybody, it's still breaking That's the trespassing. Yeah. yeah. Hey, it's the Ricky thing of like, hey, we're here to check your pipes and meters. Uh, just with anybody the plumbers. Anybody just want to... All right, no, we're good. No, we're but then they get attacked. And this is the piece of art that I wanted to talk about on oh. page 85. Okay. Uh, as soon as they jump over the fence, somebody lets the dogs loose on them. A bunch of hounds. Oh, um, they're like killers. Doberman. They're killers. German Shepherds, I think is what they are. They're Doberman Pinchers. Doberman Pinchers. But anyway, in the photo, it looks like a little baby lamb that as it approaches them, shapeshifts Shapeshifts into, in, uh, like animorphs. Yeah. Tra- transforms into a larger, Which is scarier terrifying, dog. Because you're like, oh, look, a little baby oh, lamb. Oh, shit. And then it's biting your face off. Yeah, but they get up in a tree to yeah. get away from these dogs. And you're supposed to, I guess you're supposed to feel bad for them. But you're like, no, I mean, these dogs are very well trained. And why did you, you, you notice that the person put broken glass at the top of the gate. Of the, like, yeah, the wall. Yeah, and they're and like, well, like, we probably shouldn't go in there because of the, you know, broken glass at the, at the top of the gate. But anyway, it's time to uh, check in with Bingo again. And I think it's great since uh, trespassing just occurred. Well, the queen I got because they've been driving that yellow jalopy, jalopy all over. Any explosions yet? No. No, no made-up country. They no. did get tied up and did, they did trespass. Have they gone to Ocean City yet? Yes, they did. They left Bayport. The but boys, they haven't left the country. The boys left Bayport. I have an animal. And what, sabotage. What, what animal? The dogs. Doberman Pinchers. Oh, the dogs. Yeah, totally. Uh, Mrs. Hardy leaves the house. Secret codes uh, because of the, the uh, crossed out messages. Oh, the... yeah, you're right. Uh, yep. Occult, no. no. New vehicle, no. Animal, yep. Animal, yes. Thanks for listening, and check back soon for part two of The Hardy Boys Drink Book number 16, A Figure in Hiding, featuring Jack Wefso.